0: playing 18 to a full 60 early leads to buzzer beaters it all starts by getting on the board welcome inside episode 51 of on the board i'm Colby mckee the whole crew's with us tonight lance doll is there hello good to talk to you sir also Corey bakoskis is there Hello, boys. Good to talk to you folks once again. It's been a little bit. We've got a ton to get to across all these sports. Uh, we'll start, as always, in the National Hockey League, uh, where the teams are traveling to their hub cities kind of at the end of next week already. And in just over two weeks' time, gentlemen, we're going to have some uh, qualifying round games. Five games, basically, per day. Am I not mistaken in that?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think with the... Because uh, they do that seeding little round robin tournament thing. So with that combined with all the qualifying games, you had something like five a day for, for quite a few days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's uh, that's going to be some prime watching here in the, uh, the heat of summer. That's for sure. Um, I know Lance, you kind of did some digging and you found some, some favorites among the qualifying rounds, uh, not Super surprising in the fact that both of them or two of the three were the 5-12 matchup, but there was one surprising matchup that had a very heavy favorite in it.
1: Yeah, so like the top three, the, the, the most favorited team out of these qualifying rounds, the Penguins against the Habs, which I don't think is overly shocking for anyone. Stop me if you're, if you're surprised. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> number two was the the Leafs and, and the or the Leafs big favorite against the Blue Jackets. Rather, again, stop me if you're surprised. Okay, okay, uh, that I was close a, on that one. But that was um. a little bit just because, like, the Blue Jackets are one of the best defensive teams over the regular season or what was the regular season. Um, but I guess when you have the offense that the Leafs has. Uh, bada bing bada boom and the third top favorite was the Oilers against uh, the Blackhawks the Oilers are a pretty significant favorite in that matchup as well are we surprised by any of those
2: Um, maybe a little bit the Toronto one the Toronto Blue Jackets, um, I don't know. Obviously, skill-wise, you look at it on on paper, it's definitely Toronto. I mean, the Blue Jackets had the, the, a lot of departures from last year. Um, they kind of put on a, a miracle-like season this year. Um, obviously, the, their goaltending, um, Corpus Allo goes down, and Merzlikens comes out of nowhere. Um, but I think the biggest thing was Toronto over the past couple of years, one of the biggest things that has kicked them out of the first round against Boston is they've been out coached. And now you're teaming up, uh, John Tortorella, who's been in the league forever, won a lot of playoff games against a young rookie coach who actually played under John Tortorella in Tampa Bay. So like, you know, if there's something to worry about for the Toronto Maple Leafs, it's obviously not the skill, um, it's not the offense. I think he got him in goaltending too. Um, it's the coaching. Like they could very well get out coached and the blue jackets might put up quite a fight.
0: I see your point, Corey, in terms of the coaching aspect. Uh, but I also think that part of the demise of the Maple Leafs in the last few years has been the reliance of their number one goaltender, Freddie Anderson. And the fact that he's had to play, you know, the most amount of minutes, arguably in the league and face the most shots on a regular basis. and, I mean, when you go in six and seven games, uh, you know, in the first or second round against, you know, a good Capitals team, a good Boston Bruins team in years past, uh, that takes its toll on you. Not to not to discredit any of the competition, but I think the the use of of Anderson to the point in years past where he's just been quite frankly worn down um, has really led to their demise. And the fact that that won't potentially be an issue here, given four months off, I think you got to favor the Leafs just for that fact alone.
1: Yeah, it's it's tricky because, I mean, it's such a short series. You're only trying to win three games to get through this qualifying round. And if you don't start hot, you're going to be a third of the way behind after day one. And you could be stuck in a serious hole after game two if you, if you don't show up and, and play in that one. So it's, it's funny because you look at all these and, the, and they – would in theory appear to be favorites, but I think as someone who's definitely going to be betting on a lot of these games, like underdogs are just going to be so fun to bet because especially in the first game of every round, anyone can come out hot and it just takes one goaltender to to kind of play above his head for a day to give his team a bit of an edge. Like I don't think there's anyone that's that's safe, which is going to make this entire series uh,
2: or a set of series is really, really interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it's almost like a coin flip right now. Like, it's completely different playoff format than what we've had before. Like, I mean, if you look at the Buffalo Sabres, how they started this year, Um, Like they're nine and three to start the season. Like they were one of the hottest teams going right off the get go. And that's basically what we got going right now is the start of a new season. We basically had a whole off season. Now the guy's got to get going into playoff mode, which is basically like the start of a regular season. So uh, it's these teams that are going to be able to find a way to get off the, off the hop right away that are going to have the best chances. And it's not mainly going to be the best players.
0: You mentioned, Lance, about the the goaltender and the fact that if he gets hot for a game, potentially a series, he could, you know, steal some victories. I mean, you look at the Montreal Canadiens. I know they're the biggest uh, underdog, I guess, for this entire qualifying round. But uh, Carey Price with some rest, and it's still yet to be seen what happens with Max Domi, of course, might lose some offensive power there. But uh, a goaltender that could potentially steal you around if he's... Uh, If there's anybody in the league that could do that, it could be Carey Price. Um, In terms of the hub cities as well, we're going to Edmonton, Toronto. I know our last podcast, we were talking about how Vegas seemed to be a done deal. It had all the amenities, um, all the facilities available for the Western Conference teams. Uh, With the spike of cases we talked about as well, that just obviously wasn't the case for the National Hockey League. Um, You mentioned, Lance, that you liked the whole economic side of things, bringing teams north of the border. Um, But to have both the hub cities in Canada, uh, quite a coup for not only the teams and the locations, but basically as a country, to show how Canada's doing the right things when it comes to uh, COVID-19 and it's testing and it's procedures and South of the border, you can't say the same for.
1: No. And the last couple of weeks really have changed that for, for the United States and any potential hubs that they had there. But I guess even from a logistics standpoint, if and when the time comes that you're going to have to send the players from Toronto into Edmonton, that flight just becomes a little bit easier and, Uh, The concern about players having to potentially quarantine from crossing the border uh, doesn't necessarily exist because you're not leaving the country. So uh, there's a lot of logistics that made perfect sense uh, having both Edmonton and Toronto in it. Uh, Obviously, the financial and the economic impact isn't going to be outstanding by any means. It's not going to be incredibly substantial, but it'll be uh, better than nothing. It's going to be more than what you had Previous and at this point for both Ontario and Alberta, uh, any influx of money is is more than welcomed.
2: Yeah, and I mean not just the food, not the hotels, but there's going to be um, you know media. There's obviously the camera crews that are the production crews that are going to be running these games. Um, you know, those their local people are going to get hired for those and and the America. Uh, or networks are going to be sending people in here to to cover the games as much as possible. So there will be a lot of money, and like I I think the NHL wanted to go to American teams. Like they want that coverage down in the US. They want, especially right now when other teams are or other leagues are starting to get going, and the NHL might be able to capitalize on some views. They wanted it to be in the US, but um, like you guys were saying, like it's just it, they couldn't. At the end of the day, Vegas was number one, but they could not. Um, rightfully go to, to Vegas.
0: 100%. I agree with you there. The, uh, the cases were insurmountable and it, it kind of lends the question of whether, you know, other leagues like Major League Baseball, which we'll get to, like the National Basketball Association, which we'll get to, like, how are they going to be able to, you know, continue with their season's Uh, in the situation that it is down in the States. I guess we should also mention just, you know, before these qualifying games begin there on August 1st, there is going to be some exhibition games, more regional matchups, which kicks off, I believe on the 29th and 30th of July here towards the end of the month, Uh, you know, get your battle of Alberta in, Uh, between Edmonton and Calgary. And I believe there's going to be a a Montreal, Toronto, if I'm not mistaken. So a couple exhibition games uh, that were announced later this afternoon uh, to kind of get the wheels turning on some some hockey back in our lives.
1: Yeah, thank goodness. It'll be nice. And then, I mean, once we get into August 1st, it's just nonstop hockey for at least nine, ten days. It'll it'll be just insane the amount of – hockey there will be to watch at any given time.
2: Yeah, because you say, like, we're doing five games a day to start out, but even when that series is over, you still got eight series um, to go, so it'd be four games a day, theoretically. Um, I'm glad that the exhibition games, they've kind of matched some rivals up, some rivals that we might not be able to see, um, obviously like Calgary and, and Edmonton. But, you know, they got the Battle of Pennsylvania, um, Toronto, Montreal to start it off on the first day. And then, you know, Lightning, Panthers, Blues, Blackhawks, right? Like they're given those those matchups that we wouldn't be able to see right now right off the hop to get people's interest levels at 100.
0: And also, I think uh, for those who uh, like their morning hockey some, uh, some early time slots there with the uh, 10 a.m. And, uh, and noon start times there for for both Toronto and Edmonton locations. That's going to be, like you said, not to mention the five four or five games for hockey when we get to basketball. They're going to be having multiple games a day, potentially um, weekday start games for playoffs as well. So the, this, this whole month of August coming up, going to be fantastic for sports fans. Uh, if you've got some significant others, you've got to say goodbye to them for a little bit because this is going to be uh, the prime sporting watch, which we never got to here uh, in you know, May and June when sports were supposed to be happening.
1: Assuming they all end. Uh, <laughs> you just never know what, what's going to happen with each one of these leagues. But assuming everything actually finishes, you know, August is a, a complete and literal write-off. Because if you're starting it, that's the great thing about being mountain time where we are is that you just get prime viewing for all the games of all the sports all
2: the time. It's so nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I got two monitors at work. You get, you get one monitor going on the work, you get one monitor 100%. going on some streams.
0: <laughs> I love that setup. I got that upstairs in my office as well. Um, in terms of some Canadian teams and uh, they're, players' decision to continue to this return of play plan. There has been a couple uh, notable mentions in terms of the uh, Flames' Travis Hamanick, uh, Vancouver Canucks' Van Berchi, uh, Mike Green of the Oilers, and Brian Little of the Jets have all said that they will not be coming back this year to their respective teams. Uh, We did mention Max Domi because of his uh, underlying medical situation being a type 1 diabetic. He is going to wait for about five or seven more days, see how it pans out uh, before he determines if he will be joining the Canadians uh, in Toronto Uh, in terms of those decisions, obviously it's every player's right. So we can't really criticize too much, but uh, just how much of an impact is there one guy out of this list that, I mean, I think the obvious answer is Max Domi, but other than Domi, is there uh, an obvious guy that kind of brings more of an impact, the loss of him to their team?
1: You can't help, but like, I think Mike green has to be at the top of the list just because the Oilers bring him in specifically to help with depth and experience on the back end heading into a playoff run. And now to go without him, it's, uh, it's a different look. It stretches out some guys to, to spots that maybe they shouldn't be in given the situation. Uh, Hamanek obviously would be another, but I don't think Hamanek carries the same impact That Green does just considering how he came in and what he came in to do, and how the Oilers decor kind of surrounded and filled out once Mike Green got there.
2: Yeah, I'm just, I've been hoping this whole time that there's no big names that come out, just because I don't want at the end of this all, for like, you know, an Ovechkin or somebody, somebody like a big name on a big team that doesn't go for their, you know, oh, there's an asterisk behind it because it said so-and-so player wasn't there. Like, these players are kind of minor right now. You know, not exactly the, the high-end players, like you said. Um, Green's going to, would have provided a lot of offense um, from the blue line. Ham- harmonic, obviously, great defensively for the Flames. But there's, you know, Domi's kind of getting there. I'm, I'm just I'm hoping there's no big names that pull out of this because um, obviously we're going to talk about NBA a little bit later like Victor Oladipo kind of getting on that line too. I just hope that uh, the top teams can keep their top players so there's not that asterisk behind it that, that some guys are going to bring up at the end of this.
0: I agree with you guys. I think, um, yeah, of this list, I think Green probably had the most impact. I know Little, um, he was injured, if I'm not mistaken, kind of early here in 2020. and He hasn't really played with the Jets uh, much so this uh, year also. And then with Hammonick's injury, um, didn't even realize when the Flames announced their kind of return to play camp roster. Uh, guys like Yusuf Al-Mackey was making this list. I kind of forgot about him. Like The depth uh, for Calgary's defensemen uh, will be able to, I think, uh, you know, fill in the hole that Hamannik has left um, for this team. Like you mentioned, Corey, Max Domi would be a big blow for the offense of the Canadians if they had any shot. Of trying to upset the pittsburgh penguins there in the qualifying round uh lance another kind of tidbit from you you pulled up the couple notes regarding the cba for the next couple of years and the fact that it's going to stay at 81 and dollars until uh, hockey related revenue hits 4.8 billion dollars that's a big ass number uh that's courtesy yeah. of scott burnside from the athletic and, and frank Saravalli from tsn but a few of these teams are at a very critical point in their salary cap number heading into next year.
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, almost half the league that currently has a payroll over $70 million for next season. So at best, uh, if you're on this list, you have $11.5 bucks to play with and you're not even into next year yet. Some interesting teams that found their way on this list, like Arizona, the Coyotes next year projected to have around $80 million in payroll tied up for just 16 players. Now that doesn't even really get you going barely with four lines, let alone uh, a full team. So Arizona's in a big time crunch. Uh, Columbus, another one, $75 million they have accrued for next year. 22 players, not necessarily the the worst, not even close to the Coyotes. But that's why you're hearing the name Josh Anderson that floated around. Uh, if you've seen lately, a lot of people have been linking Josh Anderson to a handful of teams uh, including the Calgary Flames as a potential trade target. And that's because they got to also pay Pierre-Luc Dubois. So Anderson's probably going to have to be on his way out. Uh, speaking of guys that will probably be on the way out, Brayden Holtby in Washington, as the Capitals uh, have around 10 million bucks to work with. And uh, they've paid 16 players for next year, but Holtby a UFA, uh, they're not expecting him to come back. The Blues uh, expected to not make uh, room for Alex Petrangelo, as they're nearly at $80 million with 20 players on their roster. Uh, so, again, the Blues have around a million and a half to work with unless they start moving money out. But you'd probably be needing to move a lot for uh, for Petrangelo's contract. And uh, one more interesting one, the Tampa Bay Lightning, at $76 million right now on 15 players. Uh, one of the more heralded franchises for finding a way to make contracts work, but they're going to have to make... Uh, absolute magic happened here. Five million bucks to work with and still quite a few guys. They got to get into the roster so that they can play games in 2020, 21. And two notable names, Mikhail Sergeyev and Anthony Sorelli are both going to be coming off of their uh, ELCs. So they're going to be RFAs. And that opens the door for offer sheets on both of those guys. If, uh, if teams want to go down that road is of course the lightning won't really have an opportunity to match, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of interesting scenarios and situations. We hear how bad, uh, Toronto and Edmonton are down the road, but considering how things are as of right now and how things are going to look for 2020, 21, definitely a handful of teams that are in much worse scenarios.
2: Yeah. You mentioned Tampa Bay, like you, what happened last year and like, You know, you really see a cup window start to dwindle when, especially, obviously, it's very unfortunate the cap's going to be staying still next year. But, like, Sergeyev's a huge part. Sorelli's a great third-line center. I mean, like, having Stamkos and Kucherov sometimes just isn't enough to win that Stanley Cup, as they showed last year. Like, this could be their last year. Um, and you mentioned like they're going to have to swing some magic here. It's going to be a lot of teams. There's going to be a lot of buyouts, as we saw in the last couple lockouts here. Um, there's going to be some some huge trades and like free agent. Like, what's Taylor Hall going to get on the market? Is anybody going to give him what he wants? Is anybody going to give him more than three, four years? Or is he going to have to take a one year bet on himself contract? Like, and Braden Holpie too. He hasn't been exactly amazing ever since that uh, stanley cup playoff run like these free agents coming in they were expecting a lot of money they're gonna have a rude awakening whenever this offseason hits and uh there's gonna be
0: some some high profile names getting bought out you're 100 percent in the fact Corey. that like yeah you look at guys like uh like even petro angelo as well he for your i'd say probably last 18 months he's been heralded as like the top defensemen available in this upcoming free agency class and with everything going on, obviously uh, you mentioned Taylor Hall, like these guys might have to take, like you said, that one year, uh, you know, high money situation. And if the team that offers that kind of contract is not going to be in any position to win the cup because the the quality of teams on this list for the most part, are are teams that are are in it to win it. A lot of teams that are are right up to the cap for obvious reasons. So uh, a team that's able to give them the money that they want are not going to be close to uh, any championship level. So it's it's kind of the pros and cons, and they have to weigh that in their own individual decisions. Um, You mentioned Arizona as well, Lance. And for years, they've always been the franchise to take on those really stupid contracts. I remember they traded for Pavel Datsuk one year from Detroit and got a bunch of money back and maybe a pick or two. But uh, it's, it's funny to see them among this team of, of, you know, teams that have really hit the max with the amount of players that they've got, which is a very small number. Uh, like, you, Hall's not going to be able to resign there, like you said. And they get a little bit of relief uh, in the long term IR department from Marion Hosa, who uh, we just found out is going to the hall of fame, but for years, Arizona was that team that take in bad contracts. And and now they're looking to probably get rid of a couple.
1: Yeah. They're going to have to find somebody to take on. I mean, you look at the the list in total, 13 teams with payrolls over 70 mil, and that doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room, depending on how these uh, other franchises that aren't on this list are projecting, league-wide revenues over the next 12, 18, 24 months. Because as long as hockey-related revenues stay under $4.8 billion, there's not going to be any cap movement. And if there's no fans in the seats all through 2021, well, we're going to be in the same boat in twenty-one twenty-two. 22 And so for these franchises that they try and plan out how they're going to make things work, I mean, you look at a team like the Leafs with the contracts that they have, I mean, they're going to come to a point, they might be forced into it to have to move players out. I mean, they're at 77 mil on 16 players. I don't care. Like, they might be signing you and I for league minimum in order to fill out the eighty-one and a half and stay under it, but still have enough bodies to play games. Like it's, it's un, almost unparalleled in, in the situation that the league is finding itself in. And a lot of these veteran guys might end up being the players that bite the bullet we've seen for years, the league skew younger and lean younger and undrafted free agents, guys that come over from Europe with uh, what to you and I would be an unheralded pedigree or an unknown pedigree. And now they're going to be front and center almost because they're going to be needed to fill in these minimum league, minimum contracts for these veterans that might be finding their
2: way out the door. Yeah. Like, I think you look at you look at Toronto right now um this isn't really a cap thing but he's played himself into it they're auditioning uh Nick Robertson to play in their in their top 6 or top 9 right now um just an 18 year old that put up 55 goals in the O this year second round pick you know a lot of teams like you said they're going to have to find creative ways and you know, going down to the the juniors, picking up their nineteen year olds, going down to the minors, those guys that are on their first ELCs, that's what's gonna make you know make them go right. Like they're gonna need bottom six, you know, third pair guys making less than a million that can role play right, like mm-hmm. whether they p- kill penalties or they're they got a great shot or whatever it be. Like they're gonna have to be creative on and who they put in their in their twenty 23- three roster.
0: One of these really good teams that is not on the list which is kind of a scary thought is Colorado and the fact that they've got a bunch of young talent. They've signed a few of them guys uh, like McKinnon like Landis Gog um, but I mean the, the fact that they aren't on this list really surprises me because they've got a boatload of talent coming up as well uh, both forward and defenseman wise and uh, they could be an absolute nightmare for years to come. If um, you know hockey revenue increases, that's the albeit uh, caveat. But uh, still, a crazy, crazy team.
1: Yeah the uh, the ABS are going to be one of, if not the, well most well set up, I guess for for the future. I mean, they have essentially every single angle of their of their roster covered. I mean, in, in two years' time, they'll have to handle the Kale McCarr contract, but till then they're, uh, able to go with a lot of one years on some guys, like off the top of my head, I can only really think Tyson Jost would be one that, that is going to come up that they're going to have to kind of deal with. Um, yeah, Tyson, Jost then, and RFA. He, like Jost hasn't, like he hasn't really played himself into making a ton of money. So, um, you, you kind of look at the way they're set up. Uh, if, if they can still find ways to add, which seemingly they, they have been, uh, <laughs> they're really well set up for a, a long, long
2: time. Yeah, and I I think two things that have put them in this place is that Gabriel Landeskog is making five and a half and Nathan McKinnon is making 6.3. Like, I guess, I don't know about you guys. I, I, I'm not making too much money right now, nowhere near they are, but, like, I don't know how, like, wouldn't you want to take a pay cut, especially right now? Um, Especially if you're Nathan McKinnon making 6.3 to have Nazem Kadri making 4.5. You added that up to about 11 between your top two centers. Like, to have that number two and you guys are still great cap-wise. Like, if they're really going for a cup, Nathan McKinnon has said you know, publicly, that even on his next contract, he'll probably give a, a team-friendly deal because he wants to win. Like, you just don't see that. You haven't seen that in, in Toronto yet. Um, like, McKinnon and Landis Cog are sacrificing a lot of money to win, and it's put them in a great spot for the future. No,
0: you're 100% right, and I think it just comes down to uh, to individual – you know, goals and aspirations and maybe an agent in the ear of some of the young stars out there in Toronto saying, Hey, you can make this, you can do this and you have to focus on yourself and let the team deal with that. But you're right, Corey, they've the Colorado and the players that they've, you know, drafted and developed and and brought in have just, they've bought in. And, uh, the only kind of weak link you might look at is their goaltending. But even that, I think they can, uh, they can get by there with Grubauer and give him, you know, more leash as well if he's not injured. But, um, yeah, it's just it's crazy stuff. And it comes down to, you know, the buy-in. And when your top guys buy in, then it's pretty hard for, uh, you know, if Tyson Joe thinks he's going to make, you know, four or $5 million on this deal when he hasn't produced, like Lance said, uh, it's it's very difficult for him to, to go to general manager Joe Zach and be like, hey, I deserve this. But, uh, you know, your top dog's not making that. So, uh, great system there in Colorado if it leads to a cup it's going to be all the more worth it Um, it's now time for Tigers Trivia and this time we turn it over to Mr. Corey Bacoskis
2: yay everybody excited for some Tigers Trivia Yeah, I'm very excited. (laughs) Are you excited? Yeah, Yeah,
1: I've I've never been more excited, man. Great, great,
2: great. great. So, all right, I don't know how hard I I made this. I might adjust it on the fly, but we'll see. Uh, We're doing some uh, 2007 championship team trivia. So it's not really stats that we've we've gone with in the past. It's a little bit different. Anyway, I'll, uh, I'll ask a question and there'll be four answers or four players, and it'll be either pick one or pick two, and the the question will will specify. We'll start out <laughs> nice and easy for the boys. All right, Lance, we'll start with you. So. With the uh, the 2007 team, which two players from the 07 team are in Edmonton gearing up for the restart of the nineteen twenty NHL season? Is it A, Dave Schlemko, B, Tyler Ennis, C, Chris Russell, or D, Derek Dorsett? Which two?
1: Okay, you made that really easy. Uh, I did. It's, it's Russell and Ennis. Good.
2: Okay, Lance, what do you think? Or
0: Colby, what do you think? Oh, it's just to both of us?
2: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You guys are competing.
0: Love it. Okay. I will also go with answer B and answer C. Boom.
2: All right. One point for each. I started out really nice and easy because I don't know if it's going to get harder. Anyway, number <laughs> two, Speed right past these. Which of these Tigers players has not gone on to play at least 500 games in the NHL? We go with the exact same four players. Dave Schlemko, Tyler Ennis, Chris Russell, or Derek Dorsett. We'll go to Colby for this one. Not gotten 500 games in the NHL.
0: Is this answer for one player or two? One
2: player. One player here.
0: I think my answer is A, David Schlemko.
2: We go to Lance.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. Like Schlemko feels like he's just bounced around a while, though. But, like... In how much capacity, I don't know. Um, obviously, Dorsett has his career cut short. So I don't know how mm-hmm. many games he would have got to till then.
2: Um, yeah, you can basically cancel out Ennis and Russell for this one. Yeah, Ennis and Russell
1: probably should have <laughs> gotten to 500 by now because I don't think they had any catastrophic injuries. Uh, I, I think it's Slumko but to be different, I'll say Dorsett. <laughs>
2: And Colby takes the lead. It is Dave Flemko. He has about just over four hundred. Okay, uh, he just
1: kind of schleps around.
2: Yeah, I think yes, he, did. he played on on a lot of minor league teams, where I think Dor- Dorset kind of found an established role in the NHL. I agree with that. All right, question three. Back to Lance. We get a little bit harder here. Uh, three players on that 0-7 team got to raise the Ed Chynoweth you three years earlier. But which player wasn't a part of the 0-4 team? We have A, Chris Russell, B, Matt Keatley, C, Dane Todd, or D, Kevin Undershoot. Which one player was not part of the 0-4 championship team?
1: Oh, man. Well, Undershoot just seems so rare that he probably did. Um, (laughs) uh, Dane Todd... uh, not sure about girl Dane. Uh, Keatley, I think did. If I okay. remember right, Keatley was there for both. But I'm probably wrong because I'm so sure about it. <laughs> and and well, who was the first one? Chris Russell. Yeah, he probably did too. But I feel like Dane did too. Oh you know what? God! I think they all just played. I think it's a good question. I think they all all did play. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, no, interesting. I'll,
2: I'll, I'll go uh I'll, I'll say Keatley. You say Keely did not? Yeah. Was not a part of it. Sure.
0: <laughs> it yeah. Sounds like that's the the wrong answer by Corey's tone.
2: No, no, I thought he <laughs> I thought he clarified that that was the one guy that was. Well, you yeah, okay. always so sure about him
1: being like Oh, okay. You are going
2: oh, reverse him. psychology. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you could confusing. All right.
0: I remember a photo – I think it might have even been through Shane Brown we talked to earlier that had Kevin Undershoot, him, and Bob Ridley drinking a beer. I don't remember after which championship celebration. I don't know. Um, I I agree with you on Russell, and I I don't know anything really about Dane Todd. Um, I'm going to go – I'm going to say Kevin Undershoot was okay. So I'm going, my yeah. final answer is Dane Todd. We
2: have both wrong answers. It was oh. Kevin Undershoot. You guys oh. not have oh. questioned yourself. Yeah. No, Dane Todd and Chris Russell, they were both uh, on the back end there. I think Chris Russell was a huge part of that '04 4 team. And then Keely uh-huh. was a backup goalie. Didn't get into many games in the playoffs or any in the playoffs. But <sighs> yeah, Kevin Undershoot there. All right. Yeah, that was I'm just for- such
1: a rare answer that like had he had.
2: <laughs> I no know. Problem. I thought I'd get you with <laughs> him. But, um, I figured if I went like Darren Helm or Dave Schlemko in there, I was like you guys would pick it up right away that he wasn't there. But anyway. Right. Going on to question four. Which two which two teammates would go on to spend the next four years together in the Calgary Flames far- farm system? Is it A Matt or M- A Matt Keatley? B. Gord Baldwin, C. Jordan Benfeld, or D. Brennan Bosch. Which two of those players spent the next four years in the minors with the the Calgary Flames?
0: I was hoping that Lance was going to go first because (laughs) I had two people in my head, and then actually I had three people in my head, and you said all three. Um, So I know know Keatley's for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know if it was Baldwin or Benfeld. And I don't think it was Benfield. So I'm going to go A, Keatley, and B, Baldwin. We go to Lance.
1: Yeah, I'll say the same thing. If I remember right, Gord Baldwin ended up spending some time there.
2: You guys are both correct. They spent some time with the Quad City Flames back in the day. Oh, that was a throwback. And then also <laughs> the, uh, the Abbotsford Flames. Holy – or Abbotsford Heat, sorry. There you Those go. Those are some throwback teams. But, uh, yeah, I think – Jordan Benfell did play some, some minor league games, but it was with a different organization. Uh, we go to five for Lance here. Which NHL-drafted player was acquired midseason that year? Was it A, Michael Sauer, B, Jared Sauer, C, Colton Grant, or D, Matt Lowry? I will give you guys a hint. They picked him up from the Portland Winterhawks. I don't know if that will help you guys or not. but not uh,
1: Sauer, Grant,
2: or... Lowry, Matt Lowry, yes, it was a second round pick um, two years before.
1: So, I'm fairly confident in it's a Michael Sour.
2: Okay, we go
0: to Colby. I think Colby is up
2: one right now. Two.
0: I think yeah, I think I'm up one because we both got yep. it wrong. We both tied. Um, I was also confident in a Sour, but I my first thought was Jarrett. And I'm going to stick with my head. I'm going to go be Jarrett Sauer.
2: It was Michael Sauer, the defenseman, the 19-year-old defenseman. He, he actually played a big defensive part for them. Um, big pick up there, and it ended up working out. Okay, we yeah, go to number there's six.
1: there's no way Colton Graf got drafted.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we go to number six. Um, which player would be moved to the Spokane Chiefs the following year, claiming back-to-back WHL championships with them? Was it A, Scott Wozden, B, Matt Lowry, C, Trevor Glass, or D, Kevin Undershoot? Who won back-to-backers there? We go to Colby.
0: Give me the options one more time.
2: A, Scott Wozden, B, Matt Lowry, C, Trevor Glass, or D, Kevin Undershoot? He was traded mid-season of the 07-08 season. Went on to win no Memorial Cup.
0: I just, it's not undershoot. I know that for sure. <laughs> Are you sure? Um, Last time you, you said No, I'm undershoot. not. That, I say I'm certain, but I'm not. Um, Wasden and then Glass. And what was the second option? I'm sorry. Wasden, Lowry, Lowry. Glass. Undershoot. I'm going to go... Just because he's such an obscure name that doesn't really come to mind. I'm gonna go A Wazden.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, b- I believe you're correct, Colby. I'm like ninety percent sure I it's it's Scott Wazden. It was
2: not. It was Trevor Glass oh, on D. Damn it Boo. Boo <laughs> You're Shit. feeling Scott Wasden too, Lance though? <laughs> <laughs> what was making him feel him? I don't,
1: there was I, I remember seeing, like, either he didn't start with the Tigers or he didn't end with the Tigers, I don't think. Scott Wazden. I remember, because, I mean, we've done enough of these now to the point where I've had to read through <laughs> players' stats from fucking 20 years ago that you almost forget. And I, I could have swore I saw something about Scott Wosden. I don't know. So,
2: yeah, Scott Wazden was traded at a very similar time, but to the Camel's Blazers. He was traded mid oh seven oh eight. 8 So, oh, well, God, God it. It. I think he was a little bit of a okay. trick question. But, uh, damn, that's like, a that, press that,
0: release I remember. That, uh,
2: that can't, that probably doesn't happen too often. You win a championship, get traded the next year, and you're right back there. Like, yeah, that's yeah. impressive. Um, all right, here we go. Number seven, back to Lance. Which player left after his freshman year at the University of Michigan in 2006 to play for the 0607 Tigers? Was it Jacob Rumpel? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I, is.
2: Oh, I remember you brought him up during the Shane, uh, the, the Shane Brown interview I was like who the hell is Jake Rumpel
1: oh I hope it's Jake Rumpel
2: um, was it B Colton Grant was it C your boy Scott Wasden or was D Tyler Swiston oh Jesus We me go to Lance oh, here was it What oh, do you think it was Rump what <laughs>
1: No, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb and say it wasn't your boy Jake Rumpel. <laughs> no. I got a feeling it was Colton Grant, so I'm gonna say Colton Grant. Okay.
0: I had the exact same feeling. I felt like I don't know if it might have been an interview with uh with Joe Frazier. We were talking about guys and maybe recruiting from from down south. I felt like his name came up in something, so I'm gonna go Colton Grant as well.
2: It was Tyler Swiston, he went oh, oh, here. It Jeez. wasn't Tyler Swiston. and I lied to you guys. <laughs> no. Yeah,
1: I think I think it was Colton Grant.
2: Yeah, no, uh, I think Colton. Yeah, no, it was not Colton Grant. Okay, we um, yeah, right.
1: get... I'm glad you started us easy because this is this is
2: It's <laughs> a death row right now. <laughs> yeah, you guys fucking wait, making me wait till seven thirty to do the pod. <laughs> <laughs> Ready to go at six? <laughs> All right, which we'll see here. Which eight? Or 1989 born player so during the 2007 it was their 17 year old year which of these 1989 born players did not compete at the U17 World Hockey Challenge before Jesus (laughs) H (laughs) Tyler Ennis Alexander Profkin remember him (laughs) no your boy Colton Grant or Ryan Holfeld
1: oh my god
0: Oh, it's me, right? Yeah. Oh, this is just goddamn brutal. Um. So, Holfeld was the goalie, right? Yeah. Okay. Ennis, Holfeld, your boy Colton Grant, and who was the other one?
2: Alexander Profkin.
0: <laughs> Stop saying it. I forgot it. Um, oh, my goodness. Okay, so... Oh... <laughs> I feel like this might I don't I feel like this might be a trick answer. I feel like it, the obvious name is Tyler Ennis, but did he play for Canada at the under seventeens? I'm gonna go with Tyler Ennis a.
1: But. Wow. Um, like I keep coming back to fucking Colton Grant about <laughs> every question. Just because I remember him so vividly. he was small. He was like a third-line energy guy. Like, he would get in on the forecheck, throw a hit, jam a puck at the net, and get off the ice. And that was every single shift from him. Oh. Like, he, he served such a good role for that team. But, like, the, he, he didn't play in the under-17s. There's just no way. <laughs> like, it can't be. So, like, I'm going to say Colton Grant again. <laughs>
2: It was Alexander Prok. No, come on. I'm so sorry. I made this way too hard. Colton Grant was a beauty for Team Pacific. How many points did he get? Do you know? He got seven points in six games for the Team oh. Canada Pacific.
1: From here on, I would like to issue a pol- an apology to Colton Grant for completely <laughs> underestimating his hockey ability.
2: Oh. I just don't remember him like that. All right, I'll make, okay, here we go. For number nine, I'll cut it no, down. No, don't to make them
1: easy now. Keep them. No, going.
2: Okay, no. no, we keep going. Right. <laughs> Let's see how scary we can get. All right, which 07 champion would study at the University of Saskatchewan and go on to represent Canada at the 2014-15 Winter Universiade winning a bronze medal? I'd never heard of the university, aid, and then just, it's apparently it happened there's last year there's a reason year. for that I was just yeah. gonna say was it Kevin Undershoot <laughs> was it Ryan Hofeld was it was it Dane Todd or <laughs> was it Colton Grant
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want you
2: to know Colton Grant wasn't in the original question I but I'm gonna throw it in now
0: <laughs>
1: I was going to say, you just threw Colt Grant like a jackass. So I'm going to take <laughs> him out immediately. Oh, oh my yeah. God. Okay, so who went to U of S?
2: Um, well. So Brennan Bosch he, went to the U of S, and I thought he might that might confuse you guys, so I kept him out of it.
1: Right. And this is in 2014
2: 15 that this something happened? Correct. i give you a hint, he, he would have been young in 07.
1: Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't help me anymore. Like, I'm, <laughs> Alexander Prokkin showed up in this place today.
2: Yeah, Colin Grant would have been, example. what, 17 back then? He could have been oh, on the 1415 Canadian Universe Sadians. <laughs> oh.
1: So, when I think about this, as I try to parse through this, I'm pretty sure Kevin Undershoot at one point was selling realty. And I don't okay. think... I just, uh, for some reason, that means that he couldn't have done it. So, (laughs) for no reason, I'm taking him out. Um, Who am I left with again? Holfeld and who? Todd. Dane Todd. Oh, Dane Todd. You know, (laughs) Dane Todd was pretty handy. I'm going to say it was Dane Todd. Right? Two time champion, Dane Todd.
0: I swear I've seen all three of those names as part of the Huskies program. I swear, I I know what you're saying, Lance, about undershooting his realty, but I swear he had a turn at U of S too, and that's what really is making me frustrated. I I will give
2: you a hint, only one of
0: them has been to U of S. Oh, well, I'm just an idiot, don't even listen to me. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, Okay, then my other option was going to be Ryan Holfeld, B.
2: We have a right answer, good job, Colby. It was Ryan Holfeld, Great.
1: I should not know that you wouldn't double up on Dane Todd. Is the correct answer? No,
2: no, no, no double ups. No, he he did great for for the Canadians and in, in, in the in the net there. All right, number ten. We're almost out of hell, boys. I will make it easier next time. I swear to God, I'll bring you ice cream next time I see you. But here we are, number 10. All right, you have now heard nine questions worth of names to Don the Orange and Black that year. Now, go back and forth naming players on the 06 or 07 (laughs) Tigers roster. Rules, they must have played at least one game in that season, regular season, or playoffs.
1: This has got to be the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. (laughs) I mean, it's hilarious, but oh my god. So we have to go back and forth and name every single player on the 06-07
2: Tigers team. That's what you're telling us. If you can remember it.
1: Okay, well, I'm not going first on this one. This is question 10, so how can we go?
2: Oh, it's me. Okay, Uh, Tyler Ennis. (laughs) Colton Grant. (laughs) (laughs) Got his name in there.
0: Kevin Undershoot. Uh,
1: we, we heard Dane Todd.
0: Uh, Brendan Bosch.
1: Yeah. 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 We heard Ryan Holfeld.
0: Matt Keatley?
1: Yeah. We heard, uh, Alexander Provkin.
2: Was that a real answer too? Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was on there for 16 games. He was an import. Oh, Tyler Ennis. Yeah, it doesn't have to be just guys that you've heard. You just is anybody on that team? Okay. Yeah. Well,
1: I think we went through the almost the entire roster. Yeah. Um, uh, Jacob Rempel. Let's
0: go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> um. Oh, what about like um, Chris Stevens? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh. Why would you? Why would you say Chris Stevens? You haven't even heard the name Chris Stevens. Uh, Tyler Swiston. <laughs>
2: there you go.
0: I'm thinking, I'm thinking of those, like, the lineups that they got posted on social media when we watched that game. It was, like, the Fog game recently. Or in so- oh, yeah. Um, I'm thinking of the lineups. Yeah. Was, was Edom on that team?
2: It was not. Oh, oh shit. No. All right, we're out of hell, boys. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I did not I know how hard that was going to be, but it was, it was... We had a good time, boys, and that's all that matters. That is absolutely the most memorable Tigers trivia we've ever done. <laughs> Colton Grant is going to live on forever. I'm so We've got so a podcast title now.
1: I'm so sorry. I don't know why I thought you were such garbage. Like I, it's
2: not. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> He got oh, he's so upset he's gone. <laughs> he just exited the uh, the conversation as we speak. Oh, oh. Right. Uh, well, hold hold me. I apologize. That was difficult. I didn't know how hey. hard to make it. I was we'd done so many stat ones before, I was trying to go a little out of the box, but
0: you know what, that was, uh that really tested the noggin. Hey, he's back.
2: And
1: then I got kicked out because I was, <laughs> was Colton Grant's coming out.
2: It was probably you. Colton Grant, yeah.
1: He's tapping into my phones, he's upset. I'm sorry, Colton Grant, I really am. Oh, Before no, we well done, wrong, Corey, that I was. Can pull up Colton Grant hockey, like, his stats? Just I so got I can... it. Okay, I how did you... he do? Like, I don't remember him as being, like,
2: a so he... producer. So in o five o six he played with the Kodiaks in his 16-year-old year, 22 points as a 16-year-old in the AJ. That's not bad. Okay. Um, then obviously did very good in the, in the U-17s. And then in the o seven year, put 13 points in 71. And then next year, 28 and 67, 26 in and 72. And then got shipped off to Chilliwack, it looks like, in his, uh, in his 20-year-old year.
1: Okay. So all right, I, I feel a little better. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, you weren't too far off. (laughs) I feel feel better. (laughs) Oh, very memorable. I think Colby picked up the win on that one for the record. So what are we all? Colby's up one now. Everybody's got one and Colby's got two.
0: Like overall, well, I don't even know. We have to go back to the Rolodex and find that out.
2: Anyway,
0: um, all right. Well, we're we're almost about fifty minutes in, and we haven't touched on half of the shit we have on our list tonight. So we'll uh, we'll try to speed things up as we go on. Uh, we'll head to the NBA, and uh, we talked about Victor Oladipo a little while ago. It seems like ages ago. Uh, at first, he said he wasn't going to play for the Pacers, and now there's talk uh, inside the NBA bubble that he might be able to play. He he quoted his rehab as a reason of not coming back to play uh, in this restart, but uh, he's played some five-on-five, five, which we all know how important five-on-five five is, and uh, people are saying that he might come back, so that'd be kind of a boost for the Pacers in their, I don't know, would you call them a an outside chance of making maybe round two or round three in the Eastern Conference?
1: An outside chance at round two seems fair, right?
2: Uh hmm That's reasonable. <laughs> Because they are the the underdog going in against the Heat, right? I guess they're the lower seed a little bit.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, they've got some players, obviously, like Malcolm Brogdon, who I believe he tested positive uh, prior to to coming over, and um, they got some bonuses as well. But uh, a guy like Oladipo can completely change their offense around for sure.
1: Yeah, okay. he would he would add some some much needed help to a Pacers group that I, I think admittedly will will take all the help they can get, like any team would at this point in the in what's going to be the season, I guess, but uh but yeah, so and it doesn't hurt to have the best players on the floor if you can get them there uh just adds to the value which is going to be astronomical in any case when when the season gets going again,
2: all right, kind of what we mentioned before with the the hockey teams like I mean it's kind of like a yeah, uh, a Mike Green a little bit, right? Like he's probably one of the a good player on the team. It'd be nice if they had it back, just so they don't have the asterisks if they get bounced around one.
0: Hundred uh, percent. There's also something called a snitch hotline, which is available for all the players inside the NBA bubble to to call and make anonymous tips about uh, teammates. Probably not teammates. More like your competitors. Uh, if they commit a bad act during this quarantine time and uh, Spencer Dinwiddie came out today and doesn't want players to use the snitch line and my question is why is a guy who tested positive for COVID why is he even discussing this snitch hotline when he's not even going to be there to begin with like what kind of a motive does he have to even say such a thing like this
1: uh, I don't know but fucking Corey's sending me pictures of colton grant right now and i'm, <laughs> I
2: just got too. I'm
1: insanely distracted. <laughs> he looks so sad at the ufc what happened
2: I'll i know um I'll, I'll hop on that colby i mean like i don't know like i think you need that snitch hotline right like if other players are going to be reckless, that affects you. That could very well shut the whole thing down. So to have people doing, I guess, theoretically illegal things, right? Like you got to have some kind of way that you can anonymously tell
0: authorities. Well, it's already happened with uh, Rashawn Holmes there in his little, yeah. you know, stupid act where he goes out of the bubble to grab takeout of all things. And I guess the rumor was that he grabbed uh, a, a steakhouse meal. And I'm thinking, like, we've seen the pictures on social media about the food that they've supposedly been given so far, and I'll admit it didn't look great, but I'm sure that when we get down to things, like, they're going to be treated like like kings, and (laughs) these meals, like, you won't have to leave your bubble to go get, you know, mucho burrito or Chipotle or whatever the hell you want. Like, is there any meal where you would leave a quarantine that you're – Regulated to be in to go and grab food.
1: No, no, it's it's probably not something you should be doing. But then again, when you get this many people all jammed in together, uh, inevitably you're going to have people that aren't going to follow the rules. That's just kind of how it goes. Not only in in bubble situations, but in everyday life and how, how things are going in each different region when it comes to COVID nineteen restrictions and recommendations, this, that, and the other thing. Um, you're going to have people that aren't going to follow direction. And uh, those people need to be saved from themselves.
2: Yeah. So the NBA doesn't have some kind of takeout strategy to get to, to get takeout food. Cause I know the NHL has a lot of options, right? They're going to have catering in there, but also one of the options is that you can get, Takeout from restaurants. Restaurants can uh, bring it there and then it goes through a sanitation process um, by some of the people and then it's delivered to the athlete. Like, I guess the NBA doesn't (laughs) have that, or those players (laughs) just said, screw it. I'm not going through that. I want my own food. Let me cross that line. That's interesting because, like,
0: I mean, Disney is, as much as it's known for uh, its entertainment value and everything around that, like, they've got some fantastic chefs down there and they're going to be obviously serving up like I said, some delicious meals. So it really just kind of boggles my mind that he would do such a dumb thing like that. Really selfish uh, for his entire uh, Sacramento Kings team. And uh, you you see his teammate there, Harrison Barnes also getting tested positive uh, prior to the trip to Orlando. So he's not with the team yet. Russell Westbrook also announced on social media that he has tested positive. So um, it's a good thing that they're, they've caught, uh, the the positive test before they enter this bubble because, like you said, if it only takes one or two people to really mess up an entire team and an entire league in this one state uh, of Florida bubble.
1: Yeah, it uh, it doesn't become a bubble as soon as people within it get infected. Then it's just uh, it's just simply going to spread like wildfire within the group. So. Uh, that's why the protocols are in place. That's why we see teams like the Toronto Blue Jays that were uh, saying that they would be finding players like three quarters of a million dollars and whatnot if they left their bubble. If you're going to commit to it, you you have to fully commit. It has to be a serious commitment that, that you and every single person involved is going to see through.
2: Yeah, like that's why these commitments should be taken seriously and that when guys are not committing that should also be taken seriously like they can't make that commitment right now like that's perfectly fine they should not be condemned for making that decision but on the same side if people are going to commit they actually have to do it they have to take the steps to keep everybody safe and not just Go Rogue.
0: Part of the um, return to play plan with everything going on in the United States as well with uh, the social justice, uh, the ability to have the messages on the backs of jerseys. We talked about it on the last pod. Um, what exactly those messages were going to be. There was about, a, I think, a, a list of about 30 that were approved by the Players Association. Some players had some reservations and a little bit upset that uh, their specific saying wasn't approved. They didn't get you know full authority to have whatever on the back of their jerseys. A couple big names that have decided not to have a message on the back uh, is LeBron James as well as Anthony Davis. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo has said that he's going to have, I believe, a quality on the back of his jersey uh, among other players in the league. But uh, any thoughts on on the two big Lakers guys um, not having a message on theirs? Are they taking a stand in their own right by not having a message and, and bringing more light to it in kind of a weird way?
1: Honestly, I, I don't pay it any mind. I mean, everyone would expect them to, I guess, and would expect the top players to use the platform that they've been given to put whatever they want on the back of their jersey if they felt they it was necessary. But if they don't want to, or they just choose not to for whatever reason that may be, uh, that, that's just kind of that. I don't see any sense in dissecting it and trying to figure out why they did or didn't and what it means. I mean, sometimes people just make a decision because <laughs> because they don't want to do something. And if they don't want to, there's nothing wrong with that.
2: Yeah, LeBron was saying that it just doesn't resonate with him, that it's not really, you know, the name on the back isn't just, you know, it's not part of his his end goal and a part of the process. Like, you know, the the whole goal is this, of this is to... Shed awareness for the people that do do it, for people to recognize it, for audiences to recognize that there shouldn 't be a story on people not doing it that's that 's just bringing kind of the dark side to it it 's like it doesn 't matter if if they don 't want to do that like it should be the emphasis should be on the people that are doing it and what they want to say and what they want to get out there to the public and and what they want to be heard. i
0: agree and there, the story will be you know it will be um, after a few nights Uh, because reportedly the NBA was only wanting to have these messages on the backs of jerseys for the first four nights of play. And then it goes back to normal. Whereas the players, I I know most of them have kind of fought the NBA on that and want to have it for the entirety of these uh, playoffs. And if there's any player in the last decade that have, Really led the voice and led the charge against um, any sort of systemic problems in the states and beyond. It's been LeBron James with his More Than a Vote campaign, uh, helping people get to the voting stations out there in the states. Like, he's been a an absolute advocate uh, for a bunch of, of problems and uh, and issues in the state. So um, if you got a problem with that, I mean, just look at his resume, uh, not only on the court, but off the court. He's really made a difference uh, in every community that he's he's been in. Um, mm-hmm. Any Anything else you want to add to that? No. Nope. A little bit of – You said it well. Yeah. A little bit of – uh, what's the like, kind of deja vu or like, I don't even know what the word is I'm trying to get with, with Rajon Rondo, because when they first, Ray-Jean Ray-Jean vu. when <laughs> he got to his hotel room in, uh, in Orlando, he tweeted out something like motel six, huh? And it kind of sparked uh, a little bit of a, a riot in the fact that these NBA players couldn't stay in hotel rooms like this. And he was disappointed with how his room turned out. Well, After practicing, I believe on Sunday it was, he he broke his thumb in practice out six to eight weeks. And I guess a little bit of retribution. um, Karma. I'm looking for karma. That's the word I'm looking for. Gosh, I was not an English major. Um, But is it really a big deal with Rondo not part of the Lakers' plans for the foreseeable future? I don't think it is. I think uh, this Lakers team is built to win. With or without Rondo, he's not that big of a major piece. And uh, even if they get him back in the conference finals uh, against, you know, arguably the Clippers, probably, um, I think he can, uh, they can, you know, weather the storm, per se.
1: But is there any worse time to, like, be out for two months than when you are in quarantine? Like you literally Probably can't not, go anywhere, no. you can't do
2: anything. <laughs> <True>.
1: <laughs> that's, that's the worst. Being injured sucks. Being injured in
2: quarantine in a bubble, thats that's a whole different level. Yeah, that would be tough because he's not, he's not a starter on that team, is he? He
0: arguably could have had a, a point guard role. I mean, LeBron has been playing point guard okay. uh, for the majority of the season anyway. So uh, it's just another body, though, because, I mean, they already lost Avery Bradley, who decided not to join uh, the Lakers team. So they're down another guard. So in that situation, I guess it hurts a little bit.
2: Right. But I guess, you know, playoffs, you kind of shorten your bench a little bit. Um, guys are well-rested. It's not like they went through a whole season. So, I mean, if you lose a guy, it's not as bad as maybe, you know, right before playoffs in other seasons. Oh. Right. Absolutely.
0: Uh, a couple quick fire uh, points to mention. If there's anything you guys want to add, we can get to it at the very end. Uh, Agent Wartanowski of ESPN got suspended two weeks for sending a fuck you email to a Missouri senator who uh, had some, you know, bad things to say about uh, the whole NBA stance on, on, you know, black violence and whatnot, and saying how they should, you know, respect the the military and whatnot, and it was kind of a, like another misdirected message. and And Woj had enough, and and sent him a "fuck you" email. Unfortunately, it was from his ESPN account, so that's how uh, he got caught there. Um, a couple other things: players will have some access. To some of the rides at Disney World um, during the off hours. Not sure how that's going to work out with uh, the staff, and if they're going to be able to come back after their shift to to run these rides or whatever. But I found that very interesting. And uh, and finally, Magic Johnson revealed on the Rob Lowe podcast of all things that he doesn't write his own tweets. First off, I didn't even know Rob Lowe had a podcast. I guess everybody has a podcast if we have a podcast. But um, yeah, Magic Johnson. And his tweets, his legendary tweets for saying absolutely nothing in 240 characters uh, reveals that he doesn't write his own tweets. Anything to add to either of those points, gentlemen? Uh,
1: I feel like Bobon's going to be the guy that just sits on It's a Small World for hours on end. <laughs> He'll just ride that over and over and over. <laughs> it's
2: like two in the morning. You'd mention this after like, Bobon, hey, hey. Yeah, I got to work at 6 a.m. tomorrow. He
1: won't give a shit. He's just going to be like, send me again. And him, and him and Luca will be just riding into Small World for, for hours.
2: Oh, my God. That's the best thing. That's the best thing you've ever said. That's amazing. I really um, hope that
1: they do more yeah. video, like the Mavericks in specific, just because the stuff they've been doing is so funny. Mm-hmm. With, with Beaumont and, and Luca, like if they continue doing that when they get into the bubble and on these rides, <laughs> like I want to see a twenty-four hour time lapse of Beaumont not leaving. It's a small world. <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs>
0: um, perfect. No, I love that. That would, that would be great uh, social media content. That's for damn sure. Uh, we'll transition to the NFL. A couple news and notes from from that league. Uh, the big one that happened yesterday: the Washingtonians as they're now referred to. They're no longer called the Redskins, uh, and rightfully so. They've dropped uh, their name. They're going to come up with a new name and a new logo as well. Um, not giving them any credit because this should have happened ages ago and uh, in the light of everything going on in the world, absolutely you know, not necessary. But uh, the sponsorship and the, the lack of money that was going to potentially face Dan Schneider and the team uh, was kind of the main cause of this change um, any other thoughts for this one, guys? I I'm a little bit just mad the whole situation because this shouldn't have happened or this shouldn't have taken so long to do, and it only happened because of money. And uh, it's just yeah, it's just it's downright stupid in my opinion.
1: Well, to make you more frustrated, just think of all the money that they're going to make now on selling old merch and selling new merch. I heard that that's going to be a thing. The I amount did. of marketing mm-hmm. dollars that they're gonna uh bring in just purely by selling off the old stuff and then whenever they announce the new name uh promoting the new the new gear and the new merch uh it's it's going to make Dan Snyder a buttload of money so i guess he has uh i guess, I guess Dan Snyder just gets to win out of all of this which is frustrating that that the rich just win sometimes
2: yeah and there's some uh some Redskins fans out uh, out on the social media saying that they were not in approval of this. And I was like, "Well, why are you a Redskins fan? I don't believe you." No one asked. Yeah. It's just, yeah, we don't got to touch on it. Everybody kind of knows. It's just, it's just the right thing to do. If people are offended by it, like there's no reason to keep it around. It should, like you said, Colby should have happened a long time ago. And I guess we'll see kind of what happens with some of the other names, like the the Cleveland Indians and um, Chicago Blackhawks. I guess we'll kind of see. Only time will tell. What uh, what they? Yeah, the Edmonton did.
0: Eskimos as well up here uh, in the Canadian Football League. You're right. There's there's a few of those around around uh, the sporting world, and it'd uh, be very interesting to see if, if uh, they do the proactive route and uh, and make the change, or if they you know consult uh, those folks who who might have a, an issue with the, the name and and you know kind of reach a, a a normal ground on that kind of thing. But uh, like you said, remains mm-hmm. to be seen in terms of everything else. Um, and, football-related stuff. The Cleveland Browns are closing in on a five-year, $125 million extension with uh, Miles Garrett, formerly known as Helmet Man, for hitting Mason Rudolph last year. Uh, That's per Ian Rappaport. I mean, great deal for Garrett. And if you're his agent, I mean, you got to get yourself a pat on the back because the last time we saw Garrett on a football field, he almost killed a man. And I I get he's a great player, but the Browns really must have faith that he's a you know he's not going to do this again because this is a lot of money to put in a you know a franchise defensive player.
1: Yeah, you'll uh, like there's a list after of different players on the defensive side of the ball that make twenty million or more AAV, and that list is very small. Uh, if the extension or if, yeah, if the extension goes through, uh, Garrett would find his way onto that list that uh, omits quite a few defensive stars. So it says something about Miles Garrett, but I think uh, by all accounts he's earned this payday as a guy who played. Because on the defensive side of the ball, you need to have a little bit of a, not even a little bit, quite a bit of a mean streak to play the position well when you're in the trenches as much as Garrett is and he walks if not crosses that line a handful of times a game but that's what you want of your defensive guys I'm sure you ask any head coach they want their guys on the line and even their linebackers for that matter to play with that edge
2: right yeah, you you want that nastiness, and, and he's got it, that's for sure. <laughs> I think he showed that the last time he, he suited up. But I guess, you know, if you can find a way to tunnel that into legal hits, you know, like, he's going to be worth every single penny on that contract.
0: No, I... I... I see your point. Absolutely. And I know he's a fantastic player and it was only one indiscretion and, you know, hopefully you don't see that sort of thing again. It was the heat of the moment, all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, it could be a potential fantastic investment for the Browns. And that's something that you don't rarely hear uh, in the sporting <laughs> world is a good investment from the Browns. So, uh, hopefully that pays off for them. Um, I mean, you look like a guy like JJ Watt as well. Another guy that had a lot of fire in him and, uh, I mean, he's yet to. I don't. Was he ever the culprit of stepping on someone's fingers? I'm trying to remember if there was an incident where he stepped on some fingers or whatnot.
1: Couldn't honestly say. Off okay. the top of my no. head, if, if it
0: happened, I don't remember. All right. Well, never mind. We'll just bypass that point. Uh, another defensive player that got uh, franchise tagged this time the Kansas City Chiefs have locked up Chris Jones to a four year, $85 million contract. Um, You mentioned the the small list of people making at least $20 million uh, average annual value. Uh, It is Chris Jones. It's his teammate Frank Clark, Khalil Mack, uh, Aaron Donald, Demarcus Lawrence, and DeForest Buckner recently traded to the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, That's a fantastic list. Could include Miles Garrett as well. And uh, I guess it just shows that a little bit of changing of the guard perhaps and uh, and teams are, are focusing some of their dollars at least on the defensive side of the ball.
1: Yeah, the, and there's also just been the uptick in talent that's coming out in those positions. I don't know that for a long time we saw a lot of these linemen that were necessarily, you know, not interchangeable. For a long time, there were there were a lot of guys that you could kind of just plug and play and get away with them for the most part. But now as quarterbacks become more and more mobile you're seeing a lot of these even defensive tackles become more and more mobile and for the most part you look at that entire list of guys that are over the 20 mil AAV list uh, as defensive players I'd say pretty well all of them can move.
2: Yeah, so sorry, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not the, the biggest football guy, but like if you look at those names, the names that I recognize are guys on that defensive line. So it looks like like Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald. Obviously, those are big names if I know who they are. Um, like it's, it does seem? I don't know about those other guys, but is it is it the money going to the defensive line? Like as an outsider, I'd think you'd want money going to those fast cornerback, those safeties to stop the wide receivers and the, and the long ball. But it seems like there's a lot of money going into tackling that quarterback.
1: On the periphery, you would be right in thinking that, Corey. Like, you would pay your guys that are in the secondary to match up against your your skill position guys on the outside. But you're seeing more and more that protecting the quarterback and letting the quarterback work, I mean, that's always been valuable. But you're starting to see just how much more important it is when you look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, his numbers speak for himself. But if you ever give Mahomes time you're burned and it's not necessarily because he has incredible wideouts, which right now he does obviously, but it's also because when you have that next level quarterback with that much time, all of a sudden he can dissect every single step that's happening and never miss. And so when you're looking on how to counteract that, I mean, in the secondary, more and more guys are having pure speed and and they're, athleticism, which admittedly you can find a lot of athleticism out of football players. And so those guys are able to just kind of more plug and play where now you're seeing the the just dominance of different guys along the line like the Khalil Max, Aaron Donalds, um, Chris Jones in that mix too as guys that can be game breakers and keep quarterbacks honest. So I think that's why you're seeing the shift in money going towards the linemen is because that's your first point of contact. And those are the guys that are the elite of the elite at making Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady for years, their lives the the most difficult.
2: Right. And I guess like Lamar Jackson, too, like the amount of speed that he has, if you can find a way to. To contain him, you know. You can start to pick pick at him and, and get at him, right? Yeah, I, yeah,
0: I can. See. No, Lance put it a great way. That's kind of exactly what I was going to say. So that was well done, Lance. Uh, I agree with you there. Uh, in terms of, I guess, video game football, Madden Twenty One going to be coming out uh, in the fall, and Patrick Mahomes and Christian McCaffrey are the first ninety nine overalls uh, in the game. What's the last Madden game that you guys even own? Do you? You guys, big Madden guys, or what? I I have Madden 20 Mm. right now, only because I have EA access.
2: But I think the real question you're asking is like, "What's the actual (laughs) one that I bought?" And that would have been Madden 14, way back on the very cool, very cool Lance.
1: Um, man, I don't remember. I like I remember I bought one recently, but I just don't know how recent it was but it was off of a guy at work he had like the legend edition with antonio brown on the cover so that would have been 19 i think I, if i remember right cuz antonio yes. brown probably wouldn't have been on anything more recent than that <laughs> that um, is right yes so I, i'm pretty sure i got like the legend edition off of him for like 20 bucks
0: that's not a bad deal i uh i was just looking at myself i think i'm i'm rocking the the Madden 18 with uh, with tom brady on the cover so that's oh sick quite a few years ago but I mean to me it, it comes down to the gameplay doesn't really change in my opinion it's just the team rosters get updated and I'm not going to be forking out 80 to 100 bucks on a game with just new rosters like I'll wait a couple years and I'll maybe buy it every second or every third year that's just my way of doing things but
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm starting to adopt to that too. I mean, you know, Bill's kind of (laughs) get in the way of it, and it's just like, you know, you can't... Well, no, seriously, like, you just don't have the money. Like, you don't have your mom and dad's money like you used to have when you were a kid. Like, I still hang by the NHL series every year because I've gotten it since freaking, oh, God, NHL 2002 on the PC. I've gotten it every year. But, like, yeah, those other games, it's like... You know I'm not the biggest Madden fan or FIFA fan by like playing the game so I'll buy I'll wait till they go on half price and buy the year after just yeah, to play the game
1: 100% like I'm not like I haven't missed Madden because it's like I think now more than ever you need to have like a really good online community in order for the game to be sustainable and make it worth my purchase because I'm like you Colby otherwise like I actually was looking earlier today at MLB the Show and I was like I really don't want to put just money and hours into a game that, like, I, eh, I'm i just not all that crazy about. But for a game like, like FIFA, for example, I'm going to get so into FIFA because it's, like, so damn global, and the online community is ridiculous. There's so much you can do within FIFA. they put so much time into their online experience. It's like, that's kind of what I'm getting into now is, like, the the games where you can spend hours upon hours on the online side of things
0: that's part of the thing for me as well. Like I, I, you, you bite the bullet on the actual game purchase and whether you buy a hard physical copy or you buy the, the digital version that takes up, you know, 95 gigabytes of your system. And you're also got to invest in an online membership. And maybe that's just my cheap ass as well, but I've yet to, to dive into the online purchase because I just I don't see a need for it but I bet you it would totally make my my entire gaming experience like super different and uh, that's part of the problem I think on my end but
2: yeah I think with the NHL games it's you know you can basically buy players right now and it's it's almost if you don't have those good players it's almost unusable online right now like you know it's tough being an NHL EA sports fan because like they just don't keep it coming every year like some of their other games they put the money in the FIFA's and the Madden's but they don't upgrade that NHL and it's just it's tough to come back year to year absolutely
0: (laughs) <laughs> uh, we'll, uh, we'll move on quickly to the Major League Baseball uh, they've made a couple kind of key moves recently uh, the Atlanta Braves have signed Yasiel Puig took a long time but Puig has finally found a home uh, the terms of the contract hasn't been released that was as of 2.45 this afternoon when we did our notes and uh, he's going to slide into a fourth outfield position and uh, maybe get some games in at DH because Nick Markakis. Of the Braves, uh, he withdrew from the season, uh, opening up a spot there for Puig. Is he going to be able to uh, to make any sort of a uh, offensive impact for this team? You think? Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I think he yeah. he'll step in. He'll play pretty well. I mean, in some capacity, he'll be in the lineup every day. Um, I, I assume that's what they would have brought him in to do, considering uh, the outfield already a little bit jammed up in. Atlanta, but you're not really adding anything more now that you have Marcakis away. I mean, you basically just plug Puig into that spot with Ozuna, in Ciarte and uh, Acuna in the outfield for Atlanta. You can spell them with Puig on days off. With the DH in play, Puig can pretty well swing in there every so often with a guy like Austin Riley. Uh no, it just made perfect sense when Marcakis said that he wasn't uh, going to be participating to, to go out and get Puig.
2: Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what the NL does this year because of the, the adopted DH um, this season. Like, you know, this is a big pickup for the Braves because at the very worst, you have a, a fourth outfielder that can come in when guys are tired because it's going to be another hectic season. I mean, baseball is just has a hectic season in general. So to have a fourth outfield that has playoff experience, starting experience, a lot of big homers, a lot of big hits in this league um, to have him Go into the outfield wherever you really need them, and then to DH whenever you need them. Like that's that's huge for the Braves. They look very good this year. And they
0: looked good last year up until the playoff appearance, right? Uh, that kind of was their downfall. But uh, north of the border, uh, Toronto Blue Jays. A couple of news and notes from them. They, I believe, it was Chase Anderson who came down with uh, an injury here uh, during some some training, and there's now talk that Nate Pearson might get uh, an early go at his spot, kind of blow that first year of, of his contract eligibility. Kind of the same go-around we had with Flat Jr. last year, whether to, to start him with the big club or keep him down and and save that extra year. Um, is, is one start going to make or break the Blue Jays? And do you think that Nate Pearson should be getting this, this extra start, I guess?
1: I mean, obviously you want to save service time. That's what every single team wants to do with their young guys, but I think in this case, you have such a great opportunity because I I would say that Pearson probably does belong. If service time wasn't an issue, I think we would all say that Pearson is in the
2: rotation, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, at, at the very least, getting a lot of innings right. out of the so bullpen.
1: If we're at that level where we think Pearson has earned himself a spot in at least the, the pen in, in long relief or whatever it may be. Why not just run him out there as a part of the rotation this year? I mean, you have this unique opportunity of a shortened season where he can get a feel for big league pitching or big league hitters, rather. Uh, you're not necessarily going to have any expectations on the year because nobody can... Fairly put expectations on the year. So if it goes well, great. If it goes poorly, who cares? Uh, But that experience at pitching at the big league level is hard to get. And when you can get it in this new world, in this shortened 60-game season, I think you just run Pearson out on regular starts for the entire year and just see how he comes
2: together. Yeah, I mean, like, the future is now. Like, I could see why with Vladdy, you know, the past couple of years has been... Like the Blue Jays have been awful, and they've kind of had haven't had an identity. Um, but like now, their their roster is young. It's exciting. Like the future is now. I get the service time. Um, you know, a lot of kind of older baseball fans don't understand like the service time and, and how important it is, and they're just like, after ah, if, if they're they're good, go let them play. But like it can cause big cap problems in your future, especially when you're trying to um, get a core together for a a playoff run. But like, you know, if he, if he, if his fastball is there and his stuff is, has moved along in the minors, like why not give him that shot? Right? Like, you know, he he can grow with, with Vladdy and and Bo and all
0: the guys. Yeah. Arguments to be made on both sides. Absolutely. I I agree with you there. And in my opinion, I think one starts, I mean, in this 60 game, season potentially upcoming every start is going to be important no doubt about it they don't have the the long you know length of the season to to hide a game or two and but in in my opinion i think the one year the extra year of service time is not worth and and not worth wasting on on one start against you know tampa at the beginning of the season so that's my opinion Mm -hmm. uh but hopefully Hopefully I mean, he's gonna be a stud and everything that we've been hearing and and seeing uh, he's got the 100, 100-mile-an-hour 100 fastball just blowing guys away, and hopefully that can keep up, and he's going to be a stud with the Blue Jays for many years to come, no doubt about that. Uh, the other news with the Blue Jays is, uh, is Vladimir Guerrero moving from third base over to a first base uh, and designated hitter spot, something that was talked about at the end of last year. Uh, however, when he came – forgive me if I'm wrong, but if, when he came to spring training uh, back in March, he was playing third base. He looked good. I thought he came into camp, like, you know, fairly in shape. And then he comes back to this, you know, second go-around of spring training. And, you know, maybe he's put on the pounds a little bit. Maybe he's looking a little bit slow. And then they decide to make this decision. Uh, Am am I wrong in assessing that?
1: Uh, No, on the whole. I think that I I don't know he necessarily – Came in any different on summer camp or whatever wherever we're calling this point in time. I don't know that he necessarily looked any different, but I, I mean, let's face it the the idea was always being floated that eventually, Vladdy would go across the diamond. I just I have a hard time understanding why they're doing it. I'm because if he came in out of shape, that's not really a reason to flip them across the diamond because why are you, like, okay, so you flip them over there and then, but you actually say next year want to be third base again. Well, what's the point in making them learn first base and then bring them back to third? Like, put them in a spot and stick them to it. But that spot for X amount of years we were all anticipating would be third because first in DH – generally reserved for the Edwin Encarnacion's and Nelson Cruises of the world that aren't as mobile, that still have power, that can still contribute, but don't necessarily have the defensive abilities they once had in their younger years. Now when you put a kid, a literal kid, into those spots, you're losing potential value that you can fill out your roster with in years down the road. So that's why I'm a little confused on why the move's made. Uh, Like I I get it on the surface, but down the road, it doesn't make a lot of sense.
2: I don't know. Maybe they just, maybe he just doesn't have it quite at third base. Like, I mean, there's a lot of great third basins around the league and, you know, like maybe they're just kind of seeing his projection and maybe he's not going to be as quick as he needs to be on the hot corner. Um, And this is just kind of the best time to move him there. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I don't know why you just stick them there, and why you couldn't platoon like Travis Shaw can play both corners too. Why you couldn't switch every day, or give one guy one week, give the other guy the other week? So Vladdy's still getting those reps to see if he can get better. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm kind of confused why they've they've stuck him there and said outwardly that that's where he's going to be for the Yeah,
0: game. I just don't get the change myself. I, I, like you said, if you, you stick him there for his first year of of big league play he makes some mistakes. He makes some highlights as well. Um, Yeah. just, and to make this change like so late into a potential season as well, like when he started original spring training as a third baseman, then you bring him back for this summer camp and you make the change. Uh, It doesn't quite make sense to me. I'm not sure if it has something to do with, like you said, Travis Shaw being able to, to play third on this roster and kind of the defensive um, eligibility that, this roster has with our middle infield, uh, you know, locked up with Bo and and Guriel and Kevin Biggio. If they want to stick him in the in the middle infield as well, or keep him as an outfielder or whatever they want to do, but a lot of uh, I guess eligibility uh, for the defensive alignment for the Blue Jays going into this year. But
1: yeah, I just I don't know. and then the other thing is though, like Corey mentioned, third is the hot corner, but. First is seeing the exact same line drives come from lefties. And so, like, there's still that sense of athleticism. The only difference is you cut off the throw across the diamond. And if people are concerned about his le- his athleticism, let me be the first to tell you, it's not going to fucking change on first instead of third. Like, the no one's ever said that his throw was the problem. And so if his throw wasn't the issue at third then how is he going to be a better first baseman like it just doesn't it doesn't correlate to me you look at great first basemen like paul goldschmidt for example the guy's one of the most athletic people on the diamond it's just i don't i don't get where they the people who like the move think that he's going to become a better first baseman when really they they play very similar
2: right but the the transition to a throw is a big Factor between the two, but no
1: like, one's criticized
2: that. You you can no, but like no, but you have a little bit more time at first base to plant your feet to get, you know, get in front of the ball. You can knock it down at third. You can't knock anything down depending on the runner. You got to get that in your glove and get it out right. So maybe you know, like you said, you're seeing the same same heaters from from lefties down that line you're still getting you still got to be as agile as you are at third base maybe because he's still freaking 20 years old or 21 years old right like he's so young still um i think people forget that i think guys think Mm -hmm. that he's older like he he's still so young so maybe just you know I don't understand the DH part. That's what I don't get. That's where I I raise my fist at this. He should he should be getting fielding reps, but maybe getting those those liners at first base, and then over time over these next couple of years, he's going to learn how to get the gl- the ball out of his glove real quick, be able to throw it across the diamond, get better at third base. Like I don't know. They got a plan. I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> they get I don't paid know for the what bucks. It
1: is, man. And I I don't understand it just from. A skill just
2: don't DH, no, don't DH them. Don't DH do, them.
1: Don't do that. I mean, they're gonna because they have the ability to. With, <laughs> with, I mean, they also got Rowdy Telez who who can pick it at first. But now I just I I've, I've been the more I think about it, I just don't understand because you know now every Jays fan is gonna be watching first base like it's fucking center field, and as soon as he misses one ball, <laughs> like it's over. People are gonna riot.
0: And then what? They're just going to want him as a full time DH.
1: Well, yeah, and then he'll fucking strike out twice, and then yeah, fuck, we better so put I'm him on the to bench. To
0: single A, like Roy Halladay, or
1: what? And then he won't fill the water prop- properly, and then he'll have to go to rookie ball again. Like it's just, I don't, I don't know what's what the plan is. It, it's it seems just very short sighted.
2: Yeah, put him in left on. Yeah. Know. <laughs> No, I got nothing. Don't put him in left. That'd be terrible.
0: (laughs) I think that's a great place for us to wrap up for tonight. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the board podcast. We're on Twitter as well at on the board pod and best you believe we're going to have lots more content coming your way here towards the end of July and uh, damn sure into August. And uh, we hope you enjoy this and uh, you enjoy the content going forward for Lance Dahl. Corey Bikowskis, Colby McKee signing off. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to On The Board. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform. And find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast.
1: Yes! Yes!